Welcome to African Catholic Voices, a podcast service of the Pan-African Catholic Theology and Pastoral Network. My name is Father Stan Chu Ilo. I'm your host today. Today, we are privileged to have as our conversation partner, Elias Opongo Omondi. Now, as many of you know, the world is convulsing because of this uh, ongoing war in um, Ukraine, but also in Africa. We know that wars are increasing, not decreasing really. Now we are having within the last one year, over seven countries in Africa have had military coup d'etat. So there are potentials for greater conflict, violence, and a lot of human suffering. And here we try to bring in important voices people who are actively involved in trying to reimagine the future for the continent of Africa, and not just reimagination in terms of theoretical approaches or simply writing about it, but also doing something about it on the ground, creating educational models in order to raise a new crop of leaders in the church and in the wider society in Africa who are able to actually develop practices of peace, transitional justice, and other related practices that we think are necessary in order to bring about the kind of society we want to see in our continent and in our world. And so we are so privileged to have you today, Elias. And I say to you, welcome to African Catholic Voices. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Is our tradition here, Elias, could you please introduce yourself? Who is Elias Opongo Omondi. Thank you. Um, yes, my name is Elias Omondi Opongo. I work at Ekima University College here in Nairobi, and I also teach at Ekima Institute of Peace Studies and International Relations. Mostly, it's largely a, a graduate program with students from different parts of Africa and others from other continents also that normally would come for their studies here. And we I'm also the director of the Center for Research, Training, and Publications. It's a center that does research for the university, engage with communities so that we have the practice of peace and conflict resolution. I'm a Jesuit Catholic priest. I've been with the Jesuits for many years, and I've been teaching here at Akima University College. And I also very closely associated with the University of Notre Dame, where I did my uh, master's, and the University of Bradford, where I did my PhD, both in uh, international peace studies. That's what I'll say for now. Thank you, Elias. You're quite well-read, and you've got a lot of experience in the field. And we thank the good Lord for the great work that you are doing as a peace advocate, a scholar, a Jesuit, a grassroots um, mobilizer among many other hats that you wear. And we would like to start with the war in Ukraine. I know many Africans say, why is the war in Ukraine so important? We've had so many wars in Africa, but that's what is in the news right now. And it's gone on for two weeks and there seems to be no end in sight. So how do you feel as an advocate for a more peaceful and just world with the sad news coming from Ukraine? Or when you hear sad news about war, for instance, in Ethiopia, in Tigray, how do you feel? Thank you for mentioning the war in Ethiopia, first of all, before I go to Tigray, because that's very close to Kenya here. They are our neighbors. And it was one of the shocking moments when we saw those images on television. 
of the war in Ethiopia raging, uh, and Ethiopia has known many, many conflicts. And hardly had we settled in terms of looking for peace for Ethiopia. We had about Ukraine and Russia. And it's really unfortunate because the war has been a lot in the media. It reminds me, the time I was a student in the United States, we had September 11th. I was just two weeks into the country. And a few months later, we had bombings going on in Iraq because of the site for Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. But I think looking at the whole history of the world, we are seeing that militarization of war and peace is not helpful and has not succeeded. The U.S. moved into Iraq, for example, for almost since 2020, almost 20 years, but mm-hmm. did not really succeed in bringing the kind of peace we had all hoped and the democracy that we had all hoped that we were going to see in that country. Mm-hmm. And now here is Russia again moving into Ukraine. And I think really missing a very good opportunity for dialogue uh, into whatever issues that were going on, whether it's NATO moving closer and closer to Russia, Russia feeling threatened. I, I think we should have done better than that in terms of intervening in this conflict very, very early enough. Yeah, thank you. And just taking it closer home, you know mm-hmm. that there are Russian mercenaries fighting in Central African Republic. And recently, the military government, the people that took over power in Mali, they have also been using Russian mercenaries and they have actually asked France or France saw the new reality and withdrew her troops along with other Western allies from Mali. The last one year, more so in West Africa, has seen an uptick in uh, military takeovers of governments in uh, West Africa. And this idea of military strongmen who embolden themselves, who suspend the constitution and inaugurate themselves as uh, transitional leaders that might happen for years and years and years. Now, this has the potential of creating proxy wars in Africa between Russia and the West. But more so, it's kind of have toppled the democratization of Africa. And what are your fears about these military coups that we now see in the mm-hmm. continent of Africa? Yes, uh, let me start with the, the aspect of Russia and Russia's involvement in Africa. Russia has been looking for new areas of influence in the continent, largely connected to search for natural resources and supply of arms. So that trend is not only worrying, but it's also balancing a little bit the powers around. If you look at the case you've cited of Central Africa Republic, it was largely dominated by the French. And the control and the supply of arms and control of the uh, peace processes, it was France, like in quite a number of uh, French-speaking West Africa. But then things shifted a bit with the coming of the Chinese and now of the Russians. But what we are seeing is that they're not so much for the interest of the countries, for the interest of the minerals and resources, uranium, diamond, gold that is coming out of these countries. Mm-hmm. And that's the unfortunate part. That is, it's kind of neo-colonialization of Africa's minerals, which the West has always done. And now we are seeing new forces balancing in to address this. Now, the instability in these countries that we've noted have had coup d'etat in the last two years, in fact, in the last two years, we've had almost five, uh, five, five coup d'etats in Mali, in Guinea-Conakry. And then we also had one in Burkina Faso, 
Uh, we've had one in Sudan, and then there's an attempted one in Ethiopia, attempted one in Djibouti, and attempted one in Guinea-Bissau. So it, it's really unfortunate that we're seeing this kind of trend within the continent. My concern is, and you've pointed it out, is this authoritarian leadership that is not inclusive and that leave people behind mm-hmm. uh, in the kind of political, uh, if you want to call it democratization or political leadership that they want to put in place is often centered either around the military or around family members or some political clique that is often corrupt mm-hmm. and leave behind majority of the population with not much economic progress or political socioeconomic progress for the people. And surprisingly, in Burkina Faso, in Mali, people came out in large numbers to actually celebrate mm-hmm. and, and, and say that we've suffered under the previous leadership. We would rather military taking over and putting things into place than letting us live in this kind of a situation. So it's really been unfortunate for these countries in the parts of the West. But we're also seeing that these are the same countries which have had very strong external influence, especially from the French, the whole issue of minerals and and also the instability we noted in Libya. Uh, Western nations moved into Libya to remove the former president Gaddafi, but then it meant there were so many mercenaries that had gone there to fight that some of them flowed into Mali. Mm-hmm. And Mali mm-hmm. became very, very unstable after the end of the Libyan war. So it's, it's really a cycle of the kinds of conflicts that are regenerating themselves around. Thank you very much. I know that um, we will have you back at some point to talk about democratization in Africa and the crisis mm-hmm. of the nation state, which is a very complex thing that we need to analyze to understand why this one step forward and four steps backward. And I know that you are the director of the Hekima Institute for Peace Studies, where you are training a new crop of young Africans to become peace activists, to become people who help to transform conflict, people who are engaged in transitional justice, people who speak the language of peace and not of war. And you are a strong advocate for this approach to uh, resolving conflicts, diplomacy, dialogue. But like you have now described, even in Africa, every coup is an attempt, I mean, is a reflection of a failed dialogue. When people apply force, you know, violence, or when people go to war, it means that they have failed in negotiation, in mediation, in dialogue, in diplomacy. And people would think that your attempt at speaking the language of peace, of dialogue, or mediation, that is not working. So what do you think that what you are teaching and what you're writing about seem not to be working in Africa because we have more conflict, more coups in the world. We are having more wars. And it's like we are going back to even before the founding of the United Nations. Yeah, it's very frustrating. Uh, Very, very frustrating for me as a peace builder, a conflict analyst. I do a lot of work with, with communities. I've done some peace intervention strategies with um, the sub-regional body of the African Union, known as uh, IGAD, which looks at Eastern and own of Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've held conferences here, international conferences on peace and conflict, uh, looking at transitional justice and, and post-conflict reconstruction. And yes, there's a lot of goodwill, actually, with many civil society organizations, religious leaders, general public that are very much committed to peace and to peace building. Mm -hmm. It's just a small crop of our political leaders who have 
been very disappointing in pushing people really to the corner. And, and in my recent research, I've been looking at the whole issue of uh, democracy and peace economics and how we need to integrate matters economics and improvement of people's livelihoods into political structures, mm-hmm. uh, that the two cannot be totally separated. Unfortunately, the kind of democracy that's been introduced uh, in many parts of Africa has been one that appraises so much capitalism and leaves majority of the people behind because that's what is being practiced in the West, that there are no cushioning paths from the majority of the population. That it's okay if you have minority of 2,000 people controlling more than 80% of the world's wealth. This is just wrong. And I think these are the things we really need to question. So when you talk of conflict intervention, peace building, there are two factors that to me are really critically important. One is inclusion of the population in different levels so that there is no horizontal inequalities, vertical inequalities, that people feel they are part and parcel of the country. And then secondly, is that economic integration? Because if we do not integrate people economically and seek ways of improving their lives, there'll be major, major limitations on how we can push forward a country. So that I really find very frustrating. But I think also given my constituent is mostly religious leaders and the church and other people of other faiths, there's a role there to play because sometimes the general public has two options. One is to demonstrate peacefully and take the non-violence route, or the other is revolution, violent revolution that often doesn't end up well. But in between, we need a mediator. And mediator are trusted personalities Uh, religious leaders, people of good stature who can stand up as people who are really concerned for the greater good Mm -hmm. and mediate between the different forces within the public arena. So I see that gap still very strong. Thank you very much, Elias. That's quite uh, profound. Dear friends, you are listening to African Catholic Voices, a podcast service of the Pan-African Catholic Theology and Pastoral Network. And my conversation partner today is Elias Opongo Omondi, one of the foremost African peace activists, the director of the Hekima Institute for Peace Studies in Nairobi. And Elias has been speaking out strongly against the exclusion of so many. He has pointed out to us that one of the root causes of conflicts and problems in our society is that many people are not included. So he's calling for an inclusive state, an inclusive society, and he strongly rejects this horizontal and vertical inequality in our society today because capitalism is, in his own thinking, at the root of some of these problems where the minority has access to the wealth of the nation or of the world and the majority are constantly marginalized, scratching and uh, feeding off the crumbs that fall from the table of the masters. Hence the need, especially for religious leaders, to actually become actively involved in mediating conflict and in bringing our people to a place of peace and healing where society takes care of everyone. Because as Elias says, We are leaving many of our people behind. 
And that takes me to this question, Elias, about leaving so many behind. When we have wars, wars leave scars that do not heal. Even when the noise of the cannons and the bombs die down, the root causes of wars that you have just mentioned are often peppered over. The refugee situation, the displacement, the wounded memories are often not addressed. Hence, some of the wars we see today, like in Ukraine or in Ethiopia or Tigray, these are wars that have been fought many years ago. It's like a vicious cycle because the issues are not addressed. So can you tell us more about your work in transitional justice in Africa and how you are trying to bring so many young people into this sphere, into this way, this methodology, and how you envision the future of Africa with this concentration on transitional justice? Yes, the transitional justice concept is justice after situations of war and conflict, and it's part of the larger framework of post-conflict reconstruction. As a, a strategy, I've embraced it and tried it in a number of communities some of my works in northern Uganda that we've done over there, uh, we've looked at issues around Congo. Uh, and, and the idea is to, to say that even though there could be a peace agreement in a post-conflict situation, people's healing and psychological and physical trauma continues for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who've been damaged by the war and the scale of the war, losing the good ones, and some really physically injured in that process they really need that healing. So I see healing at three levels. The first part is just the physical care. The person lost a leg or the person needs physio, the person needs medical care. That's primary. Then secondly is the actual uh, psychosocial healing, psychosocial support, mm-hmm. counseling, uh, and then the uh, community support that the person needs. Mm-hmm. And thirdly is to come up with strategies that help in reconciliation, strategies that help in bringing people together to strengthen the social cohesion of the society. Because conflict divides us and divides us in a manner that we can't explain. So if we don't go through those three levels of healing, physical, uh, psychosocial, and also spiritual, I would say, uh, when you talk of uh, reconciliation, you let this person walk like a ghost in the midst of what seems to be a peaceful society. And I think it's a a role of us as academicians, as practitioners, as religious leaders to really take that into account and say that it's important that people are healed uh, from the wounds of the past. And it's a long, long process. Mm -hmm. The important thing Mm -hmm. is to work around triggers of possible reemergence of conflict. So the society is able to stabilize and to pick itself together, that children are able to go to school again that new opportunities for employment are there. And even adults are able to continue with their education or with employment opportunities. So I see those as very important. Thank you very much, Elias. And we are coming to the end. And we'd like okay. you to leave our listeners with five lessons that you mm-hmm. think from your work, from your research, from your advocacy, what are the lessons we need to learn as a people of God in search of human and cosmic flourishing for having this culture of peace. There's so much suffering among our people. So many people have been left behind. So what lessons do you leave us with? 
Well, the first for me is um, really, uh, I can't emphasize it enough, social inclusion as much as possible, that we put in a lot of effort in making sure that we don't leave the majority behind. Secondly is to look at values that cement our social cohesion. These values can be cultural values, they can be spiritual values, they can be political values. What are those values that cement our social cohesion together? Mm -hmm. Number three is to strengthen citizen participation in governance, in organization of the society, and raise that consciousness of participation, even in building peace together. Then number five is accountable leadership at two levels, political, so that the leaders are accountable not only to themselves, but also to the people of the country. Mm-hmm. And then secondly is um, economic accountability, because there's a lot of corruption in the African continent. And most of these leaders just go untouched. Uh, so mm-hmm. if we can look for accountable leadership. And number five is healing, forgiveness, and reconciliation. For the experiences that we've had in our lives, we need healing, uh, forgiveness, and reconciliation. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Elias. These are very insightful, profound, and compelling messages that I think that we need to embrace. And as we come to the end of this very rich conversation, we thank God, Elias, for the gift of your life, for the work that you have consistently done and continue to do in this quest for peace and transformation in the continent of Africa and in the world. We are in the period of Synod. The Holy Father has invited the church to um, walk together, to hold hands, and to look internally at some of the obstacles and challenges that we face as people of God toward embracing missionary conversion. Because for us as a church to do this work that you have said before us, we need also to be a reconciled church, which the Second African Synod had proposed a reconciled church. Even the Second African Synod called for one day every year, an annual day of reconciliation. The bishops Mm. have not implemented Mm. that in any of the dioceses in the continent Mm. because we also face our own internal problem. But we'd like to give you the last word in terms of the Mm. message that you give to the church in Africa in this time of synod, how Mm. they can lead this mission of peace, reconciliation, healing, and bridging the divisions among us, often based on ethnocentrism or political, economic, and social classes that create these social hierarchies that eventually lead to tension and upheaval in society. So your last message to the church in Africa, and then you can conclude with a prayer. Thank you again, Stan, for inviting me for this. And uh, my last word would be, I think uh, synodality in Africa opens up a very big space for dialogue and inclusion. And I appreciate the fact that you're saying that we need to listen to the context. We need to smell like the sheep. We need not to leave our Christians behind. And for me, that is really the key message that uh, I would like to to see. And, And that suffering body of Christ that we see in the continent today is you and me, is, is every member of the Christian church in the world and every member of people of faith, if I may say. So my really last word would really be that commitment to dialogue, to inclusion, and to love that Christ really advances to us and not to tire from 
engaging continuously on, on peace and reconciliation. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And your prayer to conclude our dialogue. Okay. In the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, God our Father, we thank you very much for the conversation that we have had. We'd like to pray for the African continent. We know the many suffering that we've seen in this continent, but we've also seen very great moments of hope. Moments of hope from good leadership, moments of hope from commitment to justice, commitment to inclusion, uh, moments of hope from our religious leaders and people of good faith. And we pray that you may bless the work of our hands and you may bless the continent of Africa for peace that we are thirsting for. We may one day realize it to the full. And this we ask in the name of Jesus, the Lord. The Amen. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Elias Opongo oh, Monday, for being such a, a wonderful conversation <laughs> partner. And yeah. thank you, yeah. brothers yeah. and sisters, for being part of this episode. And we hope to see you again next week for another session of African Catholic Voices. Until then, we ask you to be strong in your faith, be courageous in hope, be faithful and fervent in love. Take care of your beautiful life. Take care of each other. Let us take care of this beautiful earth and bring healing, restoration to those who are suffering and hope to those who are down. May God bless you. Bye.